welcome to Buenta Vista, episode 109. Uh, it's just me, Andrew, and my dear friend Theo here. How you doing, Theo? Hey, I'm very well. I'm caught a little off guard because there's no rambling um, little story at the beginning. One that kind of does have a point. Will it end up being funny? Do we need to throw this off, off immediately? Um, but I assume we're leading into that. <laughs> Should we just delete the episode entirely? <laughs> no, no, no. This is no? they want um verisimilitude, I think. Yeah, well uh see I was going to actually introduce no, no, please, us don't first. Let me, don't uh, let me interrupt. Not not right at the very beginning anyway. Oh well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and throw it at the end. Yeah, yeah. I was going to introduce you first and then uh-huh. explain mm. that Lucy isn't with us because mm. Lucy is in the middle of um moving into her new apartment. Um, which doesn't have internet yet. She's carrying her new husband across the threshold, comically bumping his head on the door frame on the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's got a big lump that's come up, uh, like in Looney Tunes. And she's putting um, that weird bag of ice that they used to have in cartoons on top of his head. Uh, she's pressing the lump down very hard, but another lump has appeared in a different spot on his head. And hmm. it's very unfortunate. Lumps be doing that, though. Lumps do be doing that. Hmm. I'm no doctor. Mm, but I've that's seen, for sure. I've seen a lump or two uh, come and go. from Start off in one place, end up in another place altogether. Mm. Ben is also not here because um, he is on his road trip in the States, still seeking to find and shave Bigfoot. Don't know why he wants to shave him. Well, I mean, it's just sanitary, isn't it? You just, you just want to see what he'd look like. <laughs> you give him the... Uh the like cat haircut with like still still his head's intact but from the neck down he's just <laughs> he's just pink and nude yeah you um you shave you shave bigfoot and then he goes back home to like the cave to his bigfoot kids and they start crying because they don't recognize him um speaking of guys who are shaved all over you heard any of the news about george columbaris because uh, I well while I was looking at pictures of George Columbaris in the news, I saw a photo of him when he was much much younger, uh-huh. um, with a big full head of hair, God. and it was very unnerving because I think oh. um, he's been in the Australian public consciousness with a, like a very shaved head for so long uh, that it was weird. It was like um, like seeing a, a very bald celebrity like wearing a wig in a movie, um, where you go, hey. That's not your natural state, pal. Oh. Your natural state is stealing wages yeah. from people. That's hmm. your resting state. is <laughs> Stealing wages from people. Because that's kind of the deal in the Australian uh, restaurant and cafe and hospitality industry. Is And this is probably something we've talked about in here before. But kind of seems like it's just a, a big... Like the, the open secret of that that whole part of Australian business is that people just steal wages from their employees. It's a big old theft pyramid. Great big theft pyramid. Um, I don't really know what the government gets out of it. They give people small business loans. People start businesses. They underpay their staff below minimum wage off the books and don't pay tax any on any of it. And then we all profit somehow. Oh, but we're fostering entrepreneurs, Andrew. Ah. Uh, entrepreneurs such as... Kyle and David, um, Dave Nelson and his co-CEO, who is an ex-vodka entrepreneur and his co-CEO, crypto expert and former male <laughs> model, Kyle Staggle. 
Didn't wasn't the the kind of vodka that he was making like healthy vodka? I bet it was. <laughs> like had electrolytes or something. Um, Very good. <laughs> Very good. Now we'll come what back. We'll come back to be? these. Right. We'll come back to these young guns because I don't. I don't think we've really talked about any of the George Calabara stuff. So we'll have a quick recap mm, of it. Mm, don't let me steer us off course. Not too soon. Not too. <laughs> Don't get me started on crypto. Not damn um, crypto. So, George Calabaris, uh, big restaurateur in a, in Australia, um, has been around for a long time, has been one of the faces of the Australian version of the TV show MasterChef, because that's the only kind of TV show we have here, mm-hmm. um, is when you just take a TV show that the guy who, who made Survivor, Mark Burnett, I want to say, maybe? Uh, has made it for like the Danish TV market, and then you put Australian in front of it, and then you put it out in Australia. We should take. Uh, so we Master should steal Chef. the Dutch ones where everyone's nude. Yeah, nude remember island. Naked, remember Naked News? No. You ever seen Naked News? Maybe. It was on like Foxtel on the Comedy Channel for some reason because breasts are funny, I guess. Wow. Um, that is true. But yeah, I remember getting a glance at that every now and then. See it on when somebody had Foxtel, you're like, ooh, breasts. Hmm. Back before we all had high speed internet, funneling porno straight into our eyes 24 hours a day. So, George Columbaris has restaurants, uh, he's on MasterChef, all that kind of thing. Now, he's been in some hot water over time for like serial underpayment of hundreds of employees. Uh, let me let me just bring up the numbers here. So, in 2017. Um, his group of restaurants apologized to 162 employees for underpaying them and gave them back pay totaling $2.6 million. Oh, wow. Is that... Sounds like a lot of money. Hmm. Um, Except that, you know, so this is for for staff that have been underpaid for work between 2011 and 2017. However, they kind of kept looking into this and staff kept coming forward. And now they've finally caught up by, or apparently caught up, uh, for whatever they've been busted for, uh, by repaying $7.8 million huh. in wages and superannuation hmm. after admitting to underpaying more than 500 current and former employees. Now, I know what you're thinking. When you steal a lot of money from people, isn't that some kind of theft? Mm. I mean, usually mm. you go to you go to jail if you kind of stole from the till, let's say, as mm-hmm. the, as the mm-hmm. old thing goes. Uh Maybe some sort of um, community service or, or something commensurate. Uh, you know, look, I don't. I don't think we should go to jail from stealing from the till, but that's what we do. Um, and I assume that that's what's happened. You know, you just multiply that out. I think so. Hundred dollars into seven point eight is it's got to be like thirty or forty times bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I assume without seeing it, I haven't really. Read, read up on this or, or followed it, but that, that's what's happened. Uh, yeah, almost. Mm-hmm. Almost. Mm-hmm. Instead, uh, the, his hospitality group has been allowed to make a $200,000 contrition payment. We're sorry. Mm, we're so sorry. Make, make a $200,000 we're sorry mm. payment. Mm. Now, I did, I did crunch the numbers on that, Andrew, um, as, mm-hmm. as, you know, I assume many people have, and that is... Two point five percent of seven point eight million for all the wages 
that for, he has for all of those wages over many years. Now, I think our our um, our lending rate is like around three percent in Australia. Please, I'm no bank expert. Don't yell at me. Uh, that that seems to be less than the amount of interest. <laughs> that they would have made on that money by keeping it in their bank account and out of the employee's bank account. So, uh, aside from this not personally punishing George Columbaris, except for being a PR blunder, which we'll get to, it was actually a net positive using my great accounting brain and uh, a four-cell Excel spreadsheet that I just whipped up <laughs> for them to, to steal the money from employees. Um, it has worked out in the green for them, or or the black. I don't know what what accountants use. What if you know what color accountants like to use when things are good? Uh, right on in. So back back in black, like the song. It it could be. Is that what that song's about? Yeah, it's about good accounting practices. Damn. That's what ACDC were all about. Uh-huh. Um. So now you might be thinking to yourself, how did he manage to swing this? And the answer is through uh, making an agreement with the Fair Work Ombudsman. Now, the Fair Work Ombudsman has been getting yelled at a bunch for things like this quite recently. Um, I'm pretty sure, and again, please don't yell at me. We don't do any research for this show. So, don't yell at me if and when I get this wrong. Hmm. I'm pretty sure this is another one of these organizations that um, the Liberal Party has been stacking the appointments of for some time. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. Um, But yeah, so basically they have all of this evidence of systemic, long-term, very deliberate wage theft, despite the fact that um, every time people get caught for this and get caught doing it over and over again over the course of most of a decade, they always say, oh, I was shocked to learn that I was massively profiting (laughs) from all the money I was stealing from all of my employees at all of my restaurants that I have a very active hand in. Um, So, the Fair Work Ombudsman can say, we think that this person should be taken to court. We think that charges should be pressed, all that sort of thing. Um, But instead, what they wind up doing is like negotiating and agreeing to these like uh, enforceable undertakings. And so, that is just where... Like they call it, it's court enforceable. But it's court enforceable in the sense that it is a contract that they've drawn up with this person who says, yes, I'll pay uh, $200,000 and let me let me just see here. Let's pay $200,000 and as part of the undertaking, the MasterChef judge will have to, quote, complete speaking arrangements to educate the restaurant industry on the importance of workplace compliance. God. So, so he has to do do some talks to say, "Hey, you don't want to be like me mm. and be extremely rich and famous and continue to profit over the course of decades from long-term theft of wages and then and then have to be mildly inconvenienced by it instead of going to jail." Uh, so they negotiate this agreement without ever having to set foot in a courtroom. George Conlavaro says, uh, fuck yes, that's way better than going to jail or paying some kind of significant fine that is actually damaging to me or anything. Uh, and then they come out and say, we made a court-enforceable undertaking. Um, which, in this case, even 
the Liberal Party's Attorney General is saying is is too light. Um, you know, he's he's saying that that should have been a more significant penalty. And these guys but hate you paying have, workers. They fucking hate it. They hate paying workers. They hate unions. So, like you said, Theo, it kind of seems like the majority of the issue for George Kalambaris has been that um, this, that it's just been bad PR for him, um, which has led to he has also just left MasterChef. Hmm. But so have all of the other hosts of MasterChef. Yeah, all in one big bundle. Now, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, perhaps he has been sacked on account of clearly being a criminal. Which... You would think, you know, perhaps could have happened now. It might have happened several years ago um, when it was clear that he didn't give a fuck about paying his workers. But instead... But then maybe they were just like, he's a really good representative of the restaurant industry. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I don't know who's actually financially backing MasterChef. Um, That's probably a pretty good reason to keep him around. Um. But instead, what happened was, after, you know, getting embroiled in this uh, wage theft debacle, um, they've chosen now is the time to come forward with their hand open and say, money, please. And money. I, need, I need money for my I'm sorry for payments. My, for my I'm sorry payments. They've, they're, they're breaking the bank. Uh hmm. And have asked for a 40% pay rise um, year on year for, for the next season of, of MasterChef. Um, and I understand that we may not fully understand the back and forth that has occurred between uh, the three judges. Um, there's, there's George, there's the guy who's the pile of scarves and, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and the IT um, dude. The guy that looks like he's just on the way to install a router. Mm. Um, But at the end of it, uh, Channel 10 has finally said, no. Fuck off. Yeah, and I guess it's something to do with uh, saying we would like our pay increase by 40% when they were all already on salaries of more than a million dollars a year. So, um, so yeah, great solidarity from the boys there for all sticking together. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great workplace pay dispute solidarity. Um, I don't know what he's going to do now other than continue to be rich and famous and own a, a big suite of restaurants and will probably continue just underpaying wages. You have more for material the next 10 wealth years. than one person needs in their entire life. You could basically yep. just, just, he could just leave and live the rest of his life in a in a house um, making small wicker eel traps <laughs> to that's s- probably what to he's throw into a, the the charming stream that runs through his property hmm. now that's this has led do. to this has led to a series of you might be shocked to hear this stupid articles I know this has never happened before. In we do have a burgeoning stupid articles industry, Andrew. It's <laughs> dumb, dumb articles. It's recession proof. Yeah. Um, so, so you'd think that the general takeaway from this should be, um, hey, maybe, 
you know, maybe when we're talking about uh, the the economy uh, being bad and turning down and people having no disposable income to spend at any stores and therefore uh, more and more stores going under and all that sort of thing. Um, instead of doing tax cuts and everything, maybe we should actually be paying people a living wage. Maybe we should be raising new start, all that sort of thing. Uh, but instead, we're getting articles that have headlines like, should um, should customers have to foot the bill in order to pay a living wage to staff? And like all this sort of speculation of, what? oh, if, yes, if what? we... <laughs> <laughs> well, not even, not even that part, though. It's like... Well, number one, I think the person who's supposed to foot the bill for paying the people who work there is the people who run the business. And then if you can't get enough customers or enough people through the door, or if you can't make enough money to pay a living wage to the people you have hired and made a commitment to, then your business can close. That's fine. Mm. I don't really give a fuck about that. Um, This idea, I mean, like, I personally, I've got so much fucking beef with this, and I'm sure plenty of other people do, because... I have no doubt that a lot of people out there in all kinds of industries have had experiences working with people who have underpaid them or who have not paid their entitlements, um, who have not paid their superannuation, any of that sort of stuff. Um, and and the justification is always like, oh, well, you know, I have to do that in order to keep this place open and keep keep people in jobs and everything. It's like, well... But like like the, the sacrifice is supposed to always come from the people who are there being paid the least in the first place and also don't actually have investment in the place staying open beyond like having a, a place to go and do shifts at the coffee shop or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. I realize that there are people who are working at places and being paid like minimum wage or less who need those jobs and need that money. And so, that very manipulative stance that a lot of employers take, which is, oh, but if I was forced to pay everybody the same wage and pay all their entitlements, I wouldn't have enough to pay everybody and I'd have to close down. Um, and then is- restaurants will cease to exist. Everybody will, the, the market will not adjust to produce a new solution um, and everybody will just sort of sit around at dinner time looking at each other, looking at the blank table in front of them, wondering, isn't there something we used to do in some <laughs> sort of distant future 30 or 40 years from now where everybody has forgotten about restaurants as some sort of collective amnesia? There used to be a thing we used to go out and do, but it turns out that following the law was too difficult. Too hard. And now we don't have them anymore. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it personally, it really, it really steams my yams, this whole thing. Um, because yeah, I've, I've had my own interactions with this type of person. I've had my own interactions with people who weren't paying like my superannuation and were then telling me, oh, well, you know, uh, a while ago we had a, we had a point where we were kind of struggling and. Um, we decided that we just we wouldn't pay people super for a while, and then we'd kind of catch it up. And of course, they just mm. had never started paying. No, that all, I super think that again. always goes well. Um, I like um, I like in Fargo how Steve Buscemi's bad decisions don't catch up with him, yep. and he's able to uh, quickly remedy the first mistake uh, with the second more daring mistake. 
yes, instead of it becoming a it snowballing, uh, compounding problem um, of not paying not paying anybody wages, not having enough um, cash flow to cover today's superannuation, let alone yesterday's superannuation, uh, and it all just becoming like a way bigger mess than it should have been because uh, the people that started the whole process in the first place didn't have a good enough plan or didn't have the the nous to carry it through. Um, you know, I, I also think it's probably worthwhile pointing out that it is, uh, we, we do need to be sympathetic towards the people that are, uh, doing it right, and I probably want to come back to this after we we cover the uh, the the restaurant um, that we're going to cover next. But there are people out there doing it right, where uh, you know it, it is very difficult to run a small business where where they are doing doing the right the right thing. But that's not what we're talking about here. Um, no, we, we're I, talking about think- people that are that are clearly making uh, taking from those that are subservient to them that have the least to give so that they can continue running their absolutely melted idiotic dream of um of a restaurant that shouldn't exist in the first place well also like um yeah a lot of the exposure to this type of stuff that i've had has been like uh cafes and stuff as well like um, my wife used to used to work in a lot of cafes, and it was always the same thing. It was like, you know, a place that was a place that was running well and getting along well, and some dickhead would come along and buy the business and say, "Ah, here's a chance for me to just spin money out of nothing." Mm, I'm seeing I all of these to- expenses in the expense column, uh, like wages. Well, people people always do the same thing. It seems, which is. To see see a cafe that is operating well and has a bunch of clientele and they go, ah, I'm going to buy this business and then I can just kind of roll up um, every couple of days in my BMW 7 Series and come in and act like a bit of a prat to everybody for 10 minutes and Mm -hmm. then leave and the business will just run itself and I will collect all this sweet, sweet money. And they look at the old balance sheet and they say, huh, we're spending a lot of uh, money on this goat's cheese that people are having on their on their toast. What if we replace those with craft singles? Mm. And and they just kind of go down the list and say, ah, what if we didn't spend as much time uh, making the food properly and we substituted all of these ingredients with cheap shitty stuff? And then people stop coming in and they go, oh no, my business. Oh, my <laughs> cash flow. Yeah, people think that you can just cut all the corners everywhere. And, of course, the person that they always want to take the hit on this thing, it's never themselves. It's always the people who work for them. And that's the most bewildering thing to me is when people act as though the people who come in there, the the wage slaves who just need money from week to week, as though those people who come in there are meant to be making the same amount of like sacrifice and have the same amount of investment as somebody who like put a million dollars into the thing it's like no no you're the one who put all of this stuff on there (laughs) and so yeah part of the reason i get so fucking mad about people acting like oh well you know it's it's really hard to do all this stuff and and oh if i if i have to pay everybody properly then i'll have to hire like two less staff it's like well maybe that's what you gotta fucking do then (laughs) 
because th- you're those people the one. That, are, that you're not hiring can go and work somewhere else where they'll actually be paid a, a living wage. That's it, like, rather the than... The concept that you can hire people and, like, this sort of... We see this pop up as well with, with automation, um, with, like, process improvement where you kind of... There's this thing where we look down on service employees, right? And we think of them as, as unnecessary to say, well, look... If we didn't pay you a living wage, uh, sorry, if we pay you a living wage, well, then, you know, the machines are coming. We'll just replace you with a kiosk or what have you. And it's like, fuck you. That's going to happen anyway, right? Like this threat of of hiring fewer people, if they think they can get away with, a few, with one less person, they will do that anyway, regardless or not if they're paying the remaining people what they should be paid. Absolutely. It's always about making sure that they can get away with giving as little of that money away yeah, as possible. Absolutely. And, w- and whether that's to, you know, where people are sourcing their food from or paying their staff properly. And as we kind of saw re- they can get away recently, um, you know, where, where we rolled back a bunch of our um, penalty rate rules uh, for service, service employees and, and a whole bunch of other sectors, um, we, we've been seeing reports out uh, recently where, surprise, surprise, it hasn't actually led to an uh, increase of of um, hiring. They haven't they haven't hired more people. They have just pocketed the difference, right? Because we understand that given uh, given the decision between before uh, between hiring somebody um, that they can do without and not. They will simply not hire hire them. It's it's absolutely ridiculous to pretend any differently. So um, so also there is an an entire other factor to this, which is, like you said, some people are doing it right. Some people are doing the right thing. Some people are, you know, setting things up the way that they should, and things genuinely aren't working out for them. However, I've also lived in places where. I've seen like the same kind of business come and go opening up in the same shop front over and over again and failing within six months. And it's like the same type of person keeps looking at it and going, I should open up a cafe there in that place where six other cafes have opened <laughs> and closed in the last three years. Um, some, somewhere um, a day from now, my boss is listening to this and nodding and smiling because we were, we were having this discussion just recently about a hair salon that opened in our office building in the place where there was previously a hair salon. And it is currently failing because it sucks. Um, sorry to those guys. But, um, well, not, not, not just the it sucks factor. It is genuinely the, like, the businesses where you can just kind of see, like, look, you know, we don't have to go in too hard on the people out there who are just dumb because there's some of them. That's fine. We all know what it's like uh, to just have a big rotten melon for a brain. But like when you see those businesses where you're just like, how long did you spend thinking about this before you opened this place up? Like, mm-hmm. did you give any consideration for is there actually any form of demand for this type of business in this area? Like in a lot of cases, I, I've a lot of like restaurants and cafes and stuff that you go into where you're like... So, what I can get on the menu right now for lunch is like uh, a Greek salad or 
a big Nutella stuffed lasagna, like just things where, <laughs> things where you're just like, what the fuck is this range of things? It's just all this wildly different shit. They've put no thought into anything. Or it's very obvious that they don't have anybody there who can make food, any of that sort of stuff. Just all those examples where, where somebody has gone, yeah, I could do that. Just that, that wonderful mm. kind of... Um, I've got great ideas. What else do you need? I'm a great ideas guy yeah. and everyone tells me that I'm smart and good at business. Got a big so old brain. I, so, if I open a business, mm-hmm. it should be successful yeah. no matter where it is or what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of success memes. Um, and like, yeah, sometimes it's absolutely not going to work mm-hmm. off the basis of that kind of stuff. And so, we must turn to the aforementioned Kyle and Dave. Because in the midst of all of these dumb articles popping up, we have this piece in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, with the headline, Kyle and Dave paid award wages at their restaurant, they went bust in three months. Now, I feel like there's some strong suggestion happening in that headline, Theo. Could you tell me what you think the article seems to be presupposing here? Well, I mean, I believe that you could ex- you could just extrapolate from that headline that... Nobody else in Australia pays award wages. These guys open restaurants. They're doing fine. (laughs) They're doing good. Um, These guys opened a restaurant where everything was fine except for the fact that they paid award wages. And it was purely by the force of them paying award wages um, that... They folded. So, and we probably should just point out for international listeners, award wages describes um, for for a particular class of of employee under particular circumstances uh, what it is legal to pay um, to pay them. It's like a you know specific minimum wage. Um, So they've gone out of business, I believe, entirely because they are paying award wages. Um, I won't spend too long dunking on these guys because um, everyone else in the world has already lined up to do so. Mm-hmm. So, let's let's go a little further mm-hmm. into detail here and see if it is, in fact, uh, having to pay award wages that has, that has sent these guys uh, out of business. Mm. So, reading from the article here. Surrey Hills Sushi Pizza Restaurant, Sash. What a... Sushi. What an opening pizza. sentence. Uh, my my mother's Italian and my father is Japanese, which means <laughs> I get my sushi pizza from Surrey Hills Sushi Pizza <laughs> Restaurant Sash. Uh, Surrey Hills Sushi Pizza Restaurant Sash has been placed in liquidation with debts of four hundred thirty six thousand dollars three months after opening. With the founders blaming high wages, high rents, a slowdown in consumer spending, and Uber Eats. So, a lot of fingers pointing outwards at this stage. Mm -hmm. Co-owner and company director Kyle Stagol said he and his friend and business partner Dave Nelson had, quote, lost everything. He expected a recession and would not do anything in the Australian hospitality industry until after the economy recovered. Uh, so there's a picture of the two of them mm-hmm. and they both look exactly like the kind of guys that you would expect to be lent several million dollars by their rich Sydney investment bank of fathers to open a dumb restaurant. To open a sushi pizza restaurant. Oh, I do yes. not believe either of them to be 
Japanese or Italian? Most of our competitors who have been successful over the past few years have been paying staff under the award rate. It seems the only way venues can stay ahead. Does that mean hospo workers are drastically overpaid for the value they produce for a business? Oh, boy. Probably. So, okay, so that, there's a couple of reasons why um, you shouldn't feel sorry for these guys. I had, to, I had to read this several times because he was like, the only way places can stay open is by paying under the award rate. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that hospitality workers are drastically overpaid for the value they produce for a business? Seems like he meant to say underpaid. No, 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 no. What he, what he is saying. This is a very um, weird. Um, someone, someone. Oh, will, that he's saying the award wage is too high. Yes, yeah, yeah, abs- right. absolutely. Sorry, this is, sorry. This is one of those, um, you know, um, guys who who are like ascending to heaven on the on the wings of pure capitalism thoughts. Right. Uh, so he's, so he's saying is measured. <laughs> Um, you know, we put all the numbers into a calculator and it turns out that your life is only worth $16 per hour. Yes, yes. This is like the, um, oh, what's that fucking dipshit's name? Matt Walsh from uh, the Daily Wire or whatever piece of shit uh, conservative publication he writes for, who was trying to make the argument recently that um, there should be no minimum wage because someone was rude to him at McDonald's or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he was saying, if you if if you're not doing any work at McDonald's, you should get zero dollars an hour. Um, whereas he was saying, if you know, if somebody made it so that I had a really great experience at McDonald's, that person should be able to earn up to say thirty or fifty dollars an hour. Hmm. And I think we're famously good at at quantifying this stuff and measuring it um, in this system. Definitely, mm-hmm. and there certainly isn't um, an entire world of absolutely spiteful dipshits who love to withhold tips in a in an economy where people are precariously positioned to need those to supplement their extremely below the living wage wages. But um, but yeah, again, in this case, you know, we're we're talking about it's not the. It's not the fault of these people that they opened a fucking stupid restaurant and went massively into debt before they even did so. Um, it's the restaurant workers' fault for needing enough money to live. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, if if they're um, entrepreneurs, if they're doing their value add for society as entrepreneurs should, uh, they should have already come to that conclusion. They said, well, if they believe wages are too high... We've done the numbers before we've opened up this restaurant and hospitality is not viable. So, we're going to move on to making apps for Jeffrey Epstein. So, um, so he says here, we always paid the award and above to all staff. You simply cannot, otherwise the fines are massive. If we weren't paying the award, we'd probably still be open, he so, says. So, you can't, otherwise the fines are massive. Not uh, You simply can't because... Um, that's the only reasonable thing to do as a as a human. Um, or no, but no, it's the fines. It's the it's because they didn't want to get in trouble. Because they don't want to get. Well, it's not so much they want to get in trouble. They don't want to lose money because they like having money. They've got all this money and they like having it. And why do they have to give it to the people that doing the work? They're doing the so work, they're, they're, Andrew. All the work. work, and we have to give them the money. 
So wages for restaurant staff have made headlines recently. Most recently, the Hospitality Empire, part owned by celebrity chef George Colombaris, was fined, blah, blah, blah. The Ombudsman recently confirmed it was examining alleged underpayment at upmarket restaurants owned by Neil Perry, Glenn Brahmi, Teague Izzard, and Heston Blumenthal. No, yeah, not you, Heston. Get him. Get his Following ass. Although he's, he is right about putting um, Star Anise in Bolognese, by the way. Uh, meanwhile, a number of beloved Sydney restaurants have closed or are closing because of economic headwinds and changing consumer behaviour, including Acme Restaurant, Oscillate Wildly in Newtown, Billy Kwong, Paper Bird, The Bridge Room, blah, 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 all these stupid places, The Fish Shop. Now, nobody says anything about, like, maybe uh, that there is never any form of economic stimulus besides, like, trickle-down um, tax cut bullshit. And as we know, when the economy is in this type of very depressed state and you do things like cut people's award, uh, cut people's penalty rates, they have less disposable income, so they don't spend any money. And when you uh, do tax cuts in a depressed economy where everybody's in lots of debt, they take the difference that they got from their tax cuts and they just use it to pay down some of their debt. Hmm. Uh, so, it's probably not anything to do with that stuff. No. It's probably uh, changing consumer behavior that is not influenced by anything outside of having to pay people wages. So, the <laughs> so let me just tell you the name here. Um, uh, Hogan Sprouls is handling the liquidation of Sashitsa, <coughs> Surrey Hills which I believe to be a portmanteau of sashimi and pizza. And it's about as clumsy and bad as you could predict with any of that kind of thing. Um, the creditors include the 52 employees who are owed an unknown amount in wages and superannuation. The biggest single creditor is hospitality equipment hire company Silver Chef Rentals, which is owed $283,700. There are also large bills racked up for alcohol, with creditors such as Asahi Premium Beverages and Paramount Liquor owed thousands. People are owed rent. People are owed money for public relations, etc., etc. Uh, the original Sash restaurant in Melbourne is still in operation, but Mr. Stagall said a planned outlet in Brisbane fell through because the franchisee could not obtain finance. He said the company had spent more than $900,000 on the fit-out of the Sydney restaurant. So he hoped the liquidators would find a buyer who would pay enough to cover the debt, but given the state of industry, this was uncertain. So... So you start off by paying about a million dollars to fit out your restaurant mm -hmm. and then you run up massive bills with all of your suppliers and don't pay your rent. And you also try and while this is well, you've got a negative cash flow situation, uh, you also try and finance a new financially unviable restaurant in Brisbane. Mm hmm. Uh, and then he also blames um, issues that the landlord had with the council, uh, the election happening uh, two weekends in a row, and then suddenly the weather was cold. And like most venues nearby, our revenue dropped by about 40%, and a new business with loans can't survive, he says. So, again, this idea that they have opened a business basically at the worst possible time in the calendar um, in Sydney uh, Right when the election is happening, when a series of long weekends happen, and just before winter when everybody stops going out. But it's probably the wages. Hmm. 
It's probably the wages. Um, also, it's Uber Eats's fault. Uh, the popularity of food delivery services such as Uber Eats and Deliveroo also contributed to the restaurant's closure, he says. Um, now, I know what you're thinking, but this sounds like a genius idea. Pizza and sushi? Now, I have not read any of the menu from this restaurant yet, and I would like you to uh, surprise me with a few selections, Theo, so I may understand the genius of these young champions of industry. Andrew, it would be my pleasure. I'm reading from the Sash Does Sydney menu, uh, subtitled, <clears throat> Me So Hungry? <sighs> Sorry. I think you might have sighed over the, over that and might have missed it. Uh, so, sorry, I'll, I'll repeat. It's subtitled, Me So Hungry. And that's spelled <laughs> M-I-S-O, but pronounced uh, like like me. Mm. Um, sorry, can you just, uh, just, just give me that one more time? Uh, me So Hungry. <laughs> Don't gong me, <laughs> you asshole. Oh boy! Um, sorry, and, and I've just noticed the footer. Uh, is that a chopstick in your pocket? Are you just happy to sashimi? Fucking hell! With with burning wit like just that, grade school like puns. Um, but no, you can imagine these guys sitting around writing this up. Oh my god, bro, that is so good. It's so funny. <laughs> It's so good. Uh, you're pretty much a genius. Um, so, for $26, you could be having, Andrew, uh, for a limited time only, while while this lasts, which is probably not long, a uh, blue cheese sashimi pizza. Uh, and this is with seared tuna, seared salmon, mozzarella, blue vein cheese, wasabi mayo, sriracha, Fuck. and cherry tomato. <laughs> If, if that is not the most dire-sounding pizza in the history of the world, uh, what else we got on here? Um, we have, I, I think this is my personal favourite, the Ahi Tropical Tuna Pizza. Tropical tuna. Yep. Uh, buckle up. Sesame-crusted <laughs> yellowfin tuna tataki. Mozzarella. No. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Oh, I'm gonna actually. Just I'm gonna take s- it like as soon as, as soon as you say like, <laughs> like, like yellowfin tuna or like salmon or whatever mozzarella. Uh huh. Oh, I'm gonna swap the order around here to 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 load the back of this. Um, pickled ginger, uh-huh. wasabi mayo, and mango and strawberry salsa. No, come on, man. So. Maybe perhaps the and sorry, I should say if you actually if you go online and look at reviews for this place, um, there's a, there's a whole bunch bemoaning that the also that the kitchen can't get orders out properly. There's stuff missing. There's all things going going wrong. Um, it's got like a um, like a seven on Zomato or something like that, which is like a death sentence. <laughs> Apologies if I'm getting that wrong, um, but perhaps. Maybe don't make the dining experience uh, for like looking at a menu and trying to work out what what it is on the menu that you can actually humanly eat. I know this all. It's all the a kind of thing we ordeal. 
Imagine if every pizza had like four ingredients that all violently clashed with each other. Wouldn't that be a treat? Wouldn't that be good? And they're all they're all like this. You, you don't have to take my word for it. It's all just oh, awful, damn. awful stuff. And but the problem is right with with all of this is that um, I'm. Unfortunately, like there's a there's more than just a kernel of truth in this, right? Like restaurants are doing it tough. Restaurants are, are, are struggling with Uber Eats. Um, they're they're struggling with with a lot of this stuff that they um, that they're going for. But that's not no nobody's finding the right answers for it in in the press. Right, and with mm. these weirdo, you know, white saviors that that they managed to to dig up, instead of you know actually an analysis of a real restaurant that's not serving uh, idiotic dog shit um, fusion from two cuisines that you, you don't understand either of, but instead. Um, and I don't know whether this is the author's fault, and it feels like we're just singling out this article, but there are multiple other articles linked within this. Within this same week, there's just been uh, an inundation uh, because, you know, Australians love this stuff, right? They love uh, hearing that we're paying people people too much, right, for the people that we would like to spit on, but we but we can't legally. But instead... Um, either the writer or the or the sub editor has um, managed to just position the article to be the exact belief of the people that it's that it's covering. Like the the heading, they went bust in three months because they paid award wages, um, is is highly misleading as to uh, what is actually occurring and and with a with a complex you know issue like this. And it's just boiled down to this for for clicks for. Um, you know, to get to get traffic, um, it, every everything about this situation is is wrong. So uh, it's hard to kind of dig out of it, right? Towards a um, a cogent kind of kind of answer for it when um, when the discourse around it is so utterly confused. Mm. And you know, it certainly wouldn't hurt to. Maybe also try digging into which types of places are doing well, uh, because I think in a lot of cases it's usually places that are serving stuff that is not wildly overpriced, um, so <laughs> meals that are not incredibly confusing like mm-hmm. this one, <laughs> and and yeah, places that are just doing the fundamentals of of running a restaurant or a cafe well a lot of the time. Um, actually, being a, a nice, friendly local business, all that sort of yep. wild shit. Yeah, I um, I, I can think of um, there was a great burger place in in Brisbane, for example, called Char Boys. Um, they set up, they bought a shipping container, right, which is like mm-hmm. twenty thousand dollars worth of metal, something like that. Um, they had a good recipe, and they put a grill in there, and every single day they had like. 20 or 30 people lining up for burgers, right? You, it is, and they've they've recently shut that down because they're moving to an actual physical premises in, in Bulimba because they've done well, right? There is space to do um, good things and, and well. 
just because you've made money on Bitcoin doesn't mean you deserve to have a restaurant. Yeah, I think I think that is an aspect to it as well, which is that I think sometimes with with these sorts of things, um, there's there's something to be said for like just just trying a smaller cafe or venture or whatever first, as opposed to um, you know doing a million dollar fit out in an extremely high end location, um, and also trying a a completely unproven um type of of cuisine or whatever as opposed to saying like let's do a pizza restaurant and have a couple of fucking weird ones in there um and see if people like it and if that's the stuff that absolutely takes off then you can kind of do that too um i was like i i think of like that uh i don't know if if you've seen uh, much of chef's table on netflix um where they they just look at you know lots of different people and one was the the lady who made like the the cereal milk um, pie and that sort of stuff, you know. Uh, and that that thing was interesting because that was just that was just a thing that they made. I think it was like I'm trying to remember if it was pie. She called it like crack pie because she just made it at home, just experimenting and brought it into the kitchen. And everybody was like, "Holy shit, we have to try selling this!" And that became their super hottest selling thing. And like it just sort of went from there as opposed to going, hey, I'm going to open an entire restaurant based off a couple of fucking weird things that I made. And then we'll find out if people in, like it. In Surrey Hills, <laughs> uh, yes. one of the yes. most expensive places in the universe um, for real yep. estate. Yep. Uh, so there you go, folks. Pay your staff properly. Um, now I'm going to close this out with a quick reading here from the Wall Street Journal. Um, speaking of a place uh, with a lot of money that also doesn't pay their staff properly. That's right, folks. We're talking about Saudi Arabia. So, I read this piece and I went, Ooh. Sorry, I feel like that that transition, that's going to be a slow burn for people, I think. I didn't catch me to begin <laughs> with. and I, you, you, you kept all going with the sentence and I just found myself like quietly nodding. <laughs> like, fuck. He they is so right, though. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ultimate, like, Sydney <laughs> restaurateurs, aren't they? <laughs> so, I got this piece in the Wall Street Journal. Let me, please allow me to read to you from it, Theo. Um, a prince's $500 billion desert dream. Flying cars, robot dinosaurs, and a giant artificial moon. Uh, so, this seaside corner of northwest Saudi Arabia is so barren that the only abundant resources a group of consultants could identify were sunlight and unlimited access to salt water. Delicious salt mm. water. One of my least favorite combinations. But, but Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman didn't see a wasteland when he landed in his helicopter here a few years ago. He saw the future and hatched a plan for a $500 billion city-state to cover 10,000 square miles of rocky desert and empty coastline to attract the, quote, world's greatest minds and best talents to the world's best-paying jobs in the world's most livable city. Mm-hmm. The project is called NEOM, a portmanteau of the Greek word for new and the Arabic word for future. Tasked by the Crown Prince, known as MBS, to help turn his imaginary city into a reality, consultants at Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey & Co. and Oliver Wyman created an expensive mix of science fiction and corporate buzzwords interrupted by uncomfortable realities. Local tribes would be forcibly relocated. A court system developed by law firm Latham & Watkins and labelled independent would have judges reporting directly to the king and operating under Sharia law. 
Neom is the centerpiece of MBS's effort to transform an insular, oil-dependent kingdom into a country with an outward-looking, diversified economy. Rather than relying on petroleum revenue to fund purchases from foreign countries, MBS has said he wants Saudi Arabia to produce goods and services that Saudis currently buy abroad. He has proposed Neom as a Massachusetts-sized area with auto factories, hospitals, tech companies, and resorts to keep Saudis spending domestically. Recently, the reliance on foreigners has been a sensitive topic for the Saudi government and its international partners, according to government officials. In 2017, the government detained Alexia's founder, a McKinsey partner, during a corruption crackdown. He was locked up and beaten over the course of a year before being released without explanation. McKinsey and the Saudi government have yet to, dec- have yet, uh, to comment on the case. Government officials have questioned whether the kingdom pays Western consultants more than they're worth. I don't know, Theo, have you ever heard anything about a consultant mm. being paid more than they're worth? <laughs> Actually, um, it's funny because the, the language around that is um, almost exactly what um, the previous guys were using to describe hospitality workers who are paid, you know. Are they getting more than they're worth? Hmm. Whereas uh, consultants get paid approximately $100,000 an hour, I believe. Is the standard yes. the standard rate to stand around uh, with their hands on their hips uh, and produce a PDF with typos all the way through it? <laughs> produce a seven hundred page PDF um, sent in the in the uh, format of exclusively screenshots pasted into a docx file and then now. and then attached to an email, which is then attached to the email that is sent to you. <laughs> I think that's the standard MO for, uh, for a consultant. It's the way it usually goes. So, Neom, in a statement, said that the consultants have not used this project as an opportunity to run up the bills from Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Quote, the involvement of consultants has been productive and valuable, it said. So, I figured we could take a look at some of the ideas laid out in 2,300 pages of confidential documents by the aforementioned consultants. Number one, flying taxis. (laughs) Scientists might take a flying taxi to work. Driving is just for fun, no longer for transportation. E.g. driving Ferrari next to the coast with a nice view, planning documents said. (laughs) (laughs) I love thinking about how much these people got paid. Oh, God. Number two, cloud seeding. The desert won't always feel like the desert. Cloud seeding could make it rain. Three, robot maids. (coughs) Don't worry about household chores. While scientists are at work, their homes would be cleaned by robot maids. This is just the Jetsons. It is very much the Jetsons. And I love, like, like people are already trying to make robots that can do shit. And they're spending a lot of money to do it. Yeah, and you can well, all see where they're at. It can do a backflip. You can hit it with a baseball yeah. bat. And, like, Tesla has spent billions of dollars constructing AI that can perfectly and accurately run a small roadster <laughs> into the side of a semi-trailer at 400 kilometers an hour. But now they're going to fly. Well, like, when you think about how, like, you know how Google has its, like, moonshot bullshit? Uh-huh. How, like, they were doing self-driving cars for, for like, 
a decade or whatever, and then they just went, you know what? Fucking forget it. They just folded up shop on that one. I, I honestly, uh, you know, apart from this being a, a gigantic, like, project that is almost comparable to building the pyramids as far as its construction methods and um, suitability and practicality goes. <laughs> and we'll, get, we'll keep going, going down the list, I think. Um, but I am enjoying the thought of, like, them constructing a gigantic glass like Wonderland for a whole bunch of Silicon Valley dipshits that they fly over and pay pay them each a million dollars a year. And they're all just in this huge glass cube in the desert with their roller skates and their ponytails. <laughs> and they're like crossbreeding monkeys. Yep. Like just frantically like scribbling on whiteboards that are like, you know... Oh, what if God was an app? Question mark. <laughs> um, yeah, all while their uh, all while their robot maid at home tries to clean the shower and electrocutes and burns the apartment complex down. Yep. So let me let me continue with these bright ideas. Number four, state of the art medical facilities. Scientists would work on a project to modify the human genome to make people stronger. They're just going to do superheroes? Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, number five, world-class restaurants. There would be fine dining galore in a city with the highest rate of Michelin-starred restaurants per inhabitant, with a wonderful sushi pizza for everyone. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Number six, dinosaur robots. Mm-hmm. Residents <laughs> could visit a Jurassic Park-style island of robot reptiles. <laughs> Let me. I'm just going to scroll back up. For, I'm just going to scroll back up for a second uh, to this quote from Neil. The involvement of consultants has been productive and valuable. Oh, wonderful! They have not used this project as an opportunity to run up bills. God. Number seven: glow in the dark sand. The crown prince wants a beach that glows in the dark like the face of a watch. Number eight, alcohol. <laughs> no, it can't be done. <laughs> alcohol is banned in the rest of Saudi Arabia, but it likely won't be here, say people familiar with the plant. Number nine, robot martial arts. <laughs> Robots would do more than just clean your house. They also could spar head to head in a, quote, robo cage fight. One of many sports on offer. Um, so we're also going to have, uh, you know, basically gladiators, but also they are robots and also they're doing martial arts. It's always, do you remember the, do you remember the robot shows from like the late Oh, they 90s? came back. They came back. They came back? Yeah. But there was always the shittiest robots that won. Like there was always cool robots that would have like flamethrowers and stuff. And then there'd be one that was just a wedge. And it would just, yeah. like, run under the other robot and flip it uselessly just on its back. Tip it over. And it's yeah. just lying there like a tortoise. <laughs> like, oh, the wedge won again. Oh, dear. Nature has never improved upon the wedge. The simple wedge with wheels. <laughs> simple wedge. Number 10, security. 
cameras, drones, and facial recognition technology are planned to track everyone at all times. Hmm. So, what you want to do is you really want to tie your um, libertine kind of human playground describing wonders that you've never uh, even thought to dream of, let alone experience, with an extremely regressive, um, hyper-aggressive security state Mm -hmm. to keep an eye on you and your movements, make sure that you're in, um, that you're following all of the uh, very, very difficult and uh, super uh, regressive laws uh, just in case you slip up and you need both of your arms cut off as punishment. But then you could get them replaced with robo-arms. You could fight your neighbor with well, his robo arms. <laughs> you well, get there were with also, They were also talking in the um, in the article in another spot about this part, about how they were just like, oh, yeah, we would just set it up so that, like, absolutely every square centimeter of the thing was observable at all times. Mm-hmm. And if a crime were committed, we could just have, you know, armed drones... Um, right next to the person within seconds of it happening. Yeah, if you try and jack off in your house, your robot mate yep. will be over immediately to friction burn your dick off. <laughs> Just pulverize it into a paste. And of course, number 11, moon. A giant artificial moon would light up each night. One proposal suggests that it could live stream images from outer space, acting as an iconic landmark. Jeez, I wonder where... I'm trying to think, Andrew, and, and help me out if you if you can. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a thing. So I'm outside. Yep. Uh, at night, and I'm wanting a live stream or or view, <laughs> if you will, of the moon and stars. Hmm. But I currently can't think of a way that we could do that now or. For all of human history. Let me tell you how we could do it. Mm. Hit me with that. Well, uh, let me see. Um, So, MBS says that each night he would like a fleet of drones to create the illusion of a rising moon. Mm. Crescent, Mm -hmm. half and full. Mm. Um, So, to make that happen... Okay. I know that... You seem to have some ideas too. Sure. Make that happen. Yeah. Boston Consulting Group has suggested partnering with NASA to make the fake moon the biggest in the world. You know, to compete with all those other iconic fake moons that uh, we all know about. Well, but this was this was what I was kind of going at, and I don't know. Look, I'm no I'm no consultant. I'm certainly not as highly paid as them. Um, so the thing about the moon, though, is it's very large, mm-hmm. but it's also a long way away. Mm. What we could do is make a smaller one, mm-hmm. but much, much closer. Hmm. And I don't know if they... So, they're talking about, like, the largest fake moons. Uh, but just keep bringing it closer, and you can make it as small as you like. And it costs nothing. Just a tiny get, moon. What gets me about all of it's this right is, that, like, th- this is all supposed to conjure, like, an extreme... <laughs> just grab that tiny moon. This is all obviously supposed to conjure like an extremely um, Jetsons-esque, utopian yeah. future kind of vibe, right? Yeah. But all I get from it is like um, 
all I get from it is like Las Vegas. Look, we have a little version of Absolutely. the Eiffel Tower. Like, um, hey, you're inside this casino, mm-hmm. but there's a there's a ceiling that's blue and it looks like there's stars on it. Like we used to dream about this sort of stuff, but we've we're so much you know we're, we're cl- so much closer to that dream now that we just like instinctively understand it as like this onanistic jerk off. Yeah, that is totally impractical and useless to the reality of our survival in this hellscape of a world that we live in. And and also, uh, it's only gonna get hotter. I have to say, I mean, so, sorry if you're living over there. I am very sorry, but it is. I got bad news about whether or not it's going to get hotter soon. That's all right. Um, they'll they'll just do air conditioning out they'll, there they'll with all, all those resources. They'll build a big old big old dome over top. Just a big sealed huge, dome. Huge, huge dry dome. They can live in comfort underneath with air conditioning like we have at the shops. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it also makes me think of like, um, did you see that quote recently from like uh, Jeff Bezos that was him saying, I'm using my millions to get hu- my billions to get humanity into space mm. because people have destroyed the world. And like people are like, oh, interesting that it's your billions, but it's. Everyone that's destroying the earth. Yeah. You don't have a hand in that part. Uh, no, but absolutely not. Mind. I can't think of uh, anybody that would have less to contribute to that fate of the earth than Jeff Bezos. He's he's one of the good guys. Mm. So, rather than, you know, making any, making any form of effort to... Uh, maybe give some of your largest accumulation of capital in hmm. the entire history of the human race over to maybe helping out a little bit with uh, the planet as it is and the one that we're on. No, no. It's much better off to spend it on this kind of thing. Uh, to spend it on this extremely clever stuff. And you love to see it, folks. You simply love to see it. Now you do. That's probably about all, all that we've we've got our time for. Our time, it's out. Can you hear an alarm clock ringing in the distance? Can you hear the clock strike 12? The beeping God, of, a, of a Casio that's, that's watch? So much, so much past my, my bedtime. <laughs> you will never be seen at midnight. No. Yeah. So, uh, as always, folks, if you would like extra bonus episodes of the show every week hell even if you'd just like to give us a bit of support head on over to patreon.com forward slash Punta Vista and check it out over there and uh, until then we'll see you next week bye everybody bye bye